Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 15. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. We need to be fair and not take advantage of people. God doesn't like it when people take advantage of other people. And God never forgot this. God never forgets a sin against his people. Keep in mind, this happened 400 years ago from this time. That would be like if during the colonial days there was a dispute between Ben Franklin and George Washington, and all of a sudden God showed up and told President Barack Obama to go take judgment on the people of Fairfax, Virginia, or Boston. Get the CD. It would be like that. So this sin against Israel was a long time ago, and God still held it against the Amalekites and is telling us in this story to teach us a very important principle, and that is this. Write this down. Time does not erase sin. And I really believe that people believe just because some time had gone by that God forgets about sin. I think of Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore, the hearts of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Did y'all hear me? God doesn't forget about sin. It's almost like your mom, your mom. She don't forget about sin either. (laughs) Don't ask me why I went down this path from that thought. I'm, I'm, I'm typing this out, and I'm, all of a sudden my fingers went just like your mom. I went, who put that there? Because <laughs> I remember when I was a kid, and my mom would say, and you moms know what I'm talking about, because moms, got a, y'all got a memory like an elephant. And, and um, which, how do people know an elephant has real memory? <laughs> I'm sorry, I know this is a bunny trail, but I just really just thought of that right now. How do people know that? Anyways, um, I remember when I was a kid, my mom, you know, you would do something like when you were out, and some of y'all know what I'm talking about, because I'm from the old school, y'all, see? Nowadays, you don't spank Johnny, because you might hurt his psyche. You know, they say, psychologists say, don't spank Johnny, because you might hurt his psyche, and y'all know what I say. I say, tear that psyche up. I say, tear that psyche up. It's like, you know, nowadays, you know, you don't, you don't spank Johnny because, you know, you might hurt a psyche and all that. Listen, my mom would, like, knock you out, okay? <laughs> hurt your psyche, you will be picking yourself up off the floor. You say something, all of a sudden you go, how did I get down here? <laughs> Oye, <Oy vey? laughs> who knows what I'm talking about? Okay. So, <laughs> or, or she would cut you a break and throw you a bone and say, listen, when we get home, 
y'all know what I'm talking about. We get home, I tear you up. I remember that. I remember those days, and I'd be thinking, I hope we never go home. I, I hope we never, 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 ever go home. You know, when you're a kid, you make stupid wishes. You know what I mean? You're like, I don't ever want to go home again. Never, never, never want to go home. And so then you get home, and then and on the way home, then you have good behavior because then you think, oh, well, you know, if I'm nice enough, then she'll forget. So then you're like really, really nice. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Yes, man, you know, you do everything right, and then as soon as you get in the house, and you just get the, all right, mom, you know, I'm going to clean my room and everything like that. She go, you know, oh, you remember, I told you, before you clean your room, go get the bell, because I have a psyche to deal with. I thought you forgot. Moms don't forget. They don't forget. And God doesn't forget. And we need to understand something. God looks at time, and I've told you this before. If you've been here at Calvary Chapel, you know. God looks at time and life different than we do. God doesn't judge a nation or a people by the clock or a calendar. God measures time morally, not by the clock. And the only reason God hasn't judged sin in our world is because he's giving people time to repent. John chapter 6, 16, verse 9, write that verse down, look it up later. God is going to judge people because they don't believe in Jesus. But for right now, he's giving people time. Romans chapter 2, verse 4, memory verse, or despises the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to what? Repentance. Even in this judgment toward the Amalekites, we see the patience and the grace and the long-suffering of God because remember, it's been 400 years. God allowed 400 years for them to repent, and they didn't. And God isn't being cruel and harsh and censorious. God said enough is enough. Time is up. God knows what they're going to become later. Now here's the question. Why does God want Israel to bring judgment? Why doesn't he just do it himself? He's very capable, you know. God could bring judgment without our help. Say amen. amen. He could have rained down fire from the sky. He could sweep them all away in a whirlwind. He could send an earthquake and, and, and the earth would swallow them up. God could let go of the oceans and they would meet and there would be the biggest, greatest tsunami of the world and drown the world. Why bring Israel into it? Well, I'll tell you something. Truthfully, I really don't know the answer to that, but I'll tell you this. It could have been a test of obedience for Saul. It could have been that the Amalekites attacked Israel and God wants Israel to attack them. Military attack for military attack. Same back at you. That's consistent with scripture. God usually makes the judgment fit the crime. This could be just one of the unknowabilities of God. We don't know. The thing I want you to see is for Israel, there's no chance of defeat. Did you hear me? For Israel, there's no chance of defeat. This is God's war. And God is simply asking for obedience. And can I tell you something? In the life of the Christian, there's no chance of defeat. We cannot be defeated. And the Bible tells us in 1 John 4, 4, memory verse you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in where? The world. You know that. 
Well, look at verse 4. We got to move on because we got a lot to cover here. Look at verse 4. If you're looking at verse 4, say amen. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered. You're going to love chapter 15. Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Talim. 200,000 foot soldiers, 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. And then Saul said to the Kenites, go, depart. Get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. Why are you all tracking with me? This is a problem. And utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen, the fattening. Is that what they were told to do? Phew. Save the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fattening, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them, but everything despised and worthless, they utterly destroyed. Let's stop right there. Saul gathered the people together and numbered them and then came to the city of the Amalekites and hung out in the valley. And then Saul warned, did you get that? Warned the Kenites to leave the city. Now the Kenites were descendants of, would anybody happen to know this? Moses' father-in-law. Anybody know his name? Jethro. Very good. The Kenites were descendants of Moses' father-in-law, Jethro. And I think of, in this scene, I think of dropping flyers like, um, you know, when, when, when a town or, or a city is about to be destroyed, uh, aircrafts would go over that city and drop flyers telling people that they need to evacuate. And that's what I kind of see here, this dropping of flyers from an a- aircraft before the bombing of the city. So Saul warned them to leave the Kenites because the Kenites were nice to Israel when they left Egypt. Interesting, he was careful to protect the Kenites, but not careful to obey God's will. It makes me think of these people who are careful to protect the bald eagle and the baby seal, but they have no problem with abortion. Look at verse 7. The Kenites leave, and then Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. Now listen, up to this point, Saul is obedient, but in verse 8, tells us he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. Now, Agag, listen, is not a name. It's a title, like Pharaoh. Agag was the name of the Amalekites' king. Pharaoh was the name of the Egyptian king. So Saul took Agag alive, utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword, and in verse 9, but they spared the king and the best of the sheep, the oxen, and the good stuff, and everything despised and worthless they destroyed. In other words, they thought, what a shame to destroy all the good stuff. Listen, if God says something is condemned, then who are we to say that it is good? Did you get that? Now, a little history for you. In the ancient world, armies were free to plunder those who they conquered, and this is how they were paid. Many were paid with oxen, sheep, or cattle, but God said, no, I don't want you to receive anything from them. Why? Because God didn't want anyone to benefit from the judgment. 
In other words, nobody should be leaving happy about the judgment of the Amalekites. That's like going into the pockets of a man that you just killed and taking his wallet and money in his pocket watch. There's something very not right about that. God didn't want Israel walking away thinking it was a great day destroying the Amalekites because this grieved the heart of God. And the reason it would grieve God is because in the judgment of God, it is never his heart, never is God's heart to be happy to condemn and destroy and defeat. That's not God's heart. Verse 8, it tells us that Saul destroyed the Amalekites, but he kept the king alive. Keep in mind, God said utterly, look at verse 3, utterly destroy what? All. All. Everything. Saul didn't have the right to spare the king. Saul didn't have the right to spare a peasant Saul didn't have the right to spare one single thing, even if it was good. Why? Because God said destroy every single thing. I think of Saul, who failed to understand that he was bringing judgment on the Amalekites for God, not for himself. So Saul destroys the Amalekites and saves the king and the best stuff. And what we have here, ladies and gentlemen, is partial obedience. Partial obedience, listen, is disobedience. Point blank simple. Partial obedience is disobedience. There's a Scottish minister, his name is Alexander McLaren, and he said partial obedience is complete disobedience. Saul and his men obeyed as far as suited them. That is to say, they did not obey God at all, but their own inclinations, both in sparing the good and destroying the worthless. What was not worth carrying off was destroyed, not because of the command, but to save trouble. Interesting. Look at verse 10. I want to move forward. Look at verse 10. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, underline this, and I'm going to tell you about it in a second. I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel. And he cried out to the Lord, how long? All night. And so when Samuel rose up early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he has set up a monument for himself. And he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. And then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, they have bought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. And then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. Don't you love that? Best two words in the whole chapter. Be quiet. I'll tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak on. So God told Samuel, let me have your attention. Let me stop right there. God told Samuel, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king. Now listen, this is really sad, isn't it? Because Saul started humble and obedient. And now he's going his own way in disobedience to God. 
Verse 11, I had you underline it because it's, it's one of those verses that people really stumble over. Uh, they say, how can God say I greatly regret? Does this mean that God didn't know what was going to happen or that God knew what was going to happen but was powerless in it? How can God say I greatly regret? Well, listen, this is what theologians call, and here's your word for the day, probably your word for the month. Theologians call this an anthropomorphism. An anthropomorphism. I don't expect you to know that word. I want you to know that I know that word. And, and <laughs> an anthropomorphism, <laughs> I'm just joking, is when, listen, is when an anthropomorphism is when you assign, it's very simple, it's a big word, but it's very simple. It's when you assign a human characteristic to something that is not human. For example, the Bible talks about the hand of God, or the Bible talks about God sees everything, the eyes of God. Well, God doesn't have eyes, and God doesn't have a hand, because we know that God is spirit, and they that worship him must what? Worship him in spirit and in truth. So God doesn't have hands, and God doesn't have eyes, but it's a way, and anthropomorphism is a way to explain that God sees and that God can touch. It's a way to explain it. People do it all the time. I mean, people do it with their pets. I do it with my pet, my, with my dog. People do it with their dogs. They say, oh, my dog is sad. Well, you don't know if your dog is sad. He didn't tell you. Not most people's dog, put it that way. He's not a person, although some of y'all think your pets are, but they're not, a people. You hear people say all the time, you'll say, hey, do you have kids? And they say, no, we got cats. I'm like, do I need to tell you a cat is different than a baby? Okay, you cannot leave your cat for eight hours, your, your baby for eight hours and expect it to use the kitty litter when you go to work. It's totally, totally different. But people do it all the time just to make a point, just to explain in our text, God's heart is greatly grieved, and he's sad. And since we can't understand what's happening in God's heart, God tried to express it in human terms. It's called an anthropomorphism. I greatly regret that I have set Saul up as king. Fast forward to verse 35. It says the same thing. The Lord regretted that he made Saul king. So there's pain in God's heart, but note, there's also pain in the prophet's heart. Samuel is a man of God. The word grieved means hot furious, angry. Samuel is upset. So Saul's sin hurt the heart of God and it hurt the heart of God's people. And it grieved Samuel. And he cried out to the Lord all night. In verses 12 through 16, Samuel couldn't sleep. Getting that? He gets up in the morning. He went looking for Saul. Keep in mind, Samuel's old. So Samuel makes a 15-mile journey asking where Saul is, and someone said, oh, Saul, he's out setting up monuments for himself. Saul's something else, isn't he? Setting up monuments for himself. Saul, great king. Saul, great king all over town. Saul wasn't grieved over his sin. That's the problem here. He wasn't sorry for his sin. Instead, he's probably thought he did something good and that he was totally justified in what he did. And so Samuel meets up with Saul and note verse 13. I love it. Samuel, Saul says, 
Blessed are you of the Lord, Sammy. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. You know what? That's God talk. And double speak. Samuel said, did you do all I commanded you? Saul said, absolutely. Samuel said, then why do I hear the bleeding of the sheep and the lowing of the oxen? Didn't I tell you to destroy everyone and everything, including the animals? That's not good. Now, it's interesting because Saul thought he was obeying God and the evidence of disobedience could be heard in the livestock. Did you pick that up? Probably the evidence of disobedience could be smelt. Did you pick that up? Saul said, I thought I would do God a favor and save the best sheep for the offering to the Lord. So Samuel said, and who is this guy? And Saul said, oh, that's Agag. He's the king of the Amalekites. I bought him back as a trophy. Now listen. You know, if this story wasn't so funny, it's sad. It would be so, fu- it's so funny and sad at the same time. If you're taking notes, write this down. Matter of fact, write it in, write it in your Bible. In verse, next to verse 15, right? Lame excuses. Lame excuses. Because Saul begins to offer a bunch of lame excuses why he didn't fully follow the command of the Lord. Did you get that? First, Saul blames the people. The people spared the best of the sheep. Secondly, he excludes himself from the disobedience, but includes himself in the obedience. The rest we have utterly destroyed. Thirdly, Saul justifies what was kept because it was fine quality. Well, we are all very discerning about these things. We've looked everything over and kept the best stuff. Fourthly, finally, probably worse, Saul claims to do it for a spiritual reason. We did it to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Verse 16, and Samuel said, shut up. Be quiet. That's enough of excuses. Samuel said, I'll tell you what the Lord told me last night. And in verse 17, note verse 17. Let's read it. So, because we didn't read it. Look at verse 17. So Samuel said, when you were little, he told him to be quiet. Let me tell you what the Lord said. Here's what God said. When you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribe of Israel? It did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel. Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. And when they did, and when did you not obey the voice? And why did you not, pardon me, obey the voice of the Lord your God? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, the king of of Amalek, and I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the plunder sheep, the people, y'all getting that? The people took of the plunder, the sheep, the oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So Samuel said, 
Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey, come on, read it with me. To obey is better than sacrifice, come on, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He also has rejected you from being king. Stop right there. So Samuel's heart sounds broken, doesn't it? When you were little in your eyes and the Lord anointed you as king, the Lord sends you on a mission to utterly destroy the sinners and to fight them until they are no more. Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul still doesn't get it in verse 19. He says, I obeyed the voice of the Lord. The only thing I didn't do was kill the king. What's the big deal? And look at verse 15 again. Because I missed this actually until today. It's really telling. In verse 15 again. For the people, look at the look, look, look about halfway through. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.